0: Seventeen of the Bomb Podcast today in the studio, aka my apartment. It is what is it, January nineteenth, twenty nineteen. We're about halfway through Trump presidency if we're lucky. <laughs> Tomorrow would be two years exactly. But uh, today in the studio we have Mr. Andy Black Sugar. Hi, guitar hero, touring musician, supports himself playing music. You know, pretty impressive as far as I'm concerned. With all the, you. all the people that I know that have to work day jobs and, you know, never yeah. get to go on tour. But uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Everybody might know Andy from Prisoners of New York or Black Sugar Transmission. Or I know that you've done appearances with uh, tours with Peter Murphy from Bauhaus uh-huh. and uh, KMFDM. That's right. And, uh, I don't know, other stuff. I'm sure that you've been out there and, uh, basically getting a lot of work lately Is gun for hire for a lot of the upper level cover type
1: things happening in the town and shit like that. Not really cover stuff. I mean, I did this odd show last night where I was subbing for somebody, mm-hmm. um, playing with Shannon Conley. Right. Everybody loves Shannon. So, um, I always say yes if she asks me to do anything. But typically, like what I do in New York is, it's more like gun for hire stuff for people doing their original material. I play with this guy, Johnny Couch, who writes really great power pop tunes. I play with him a lot. Um, I play with this really talented guy named Mike Greco. Sure, I know who that is. You know Mike? He's done like one F-bomb, I think. That's right, that's right, He he told me that um and he he's a great singer keyboardist his music is kind of um like kind of k- kind of has like a 70s disco funk flavor but it's also kind of um you know it's it's current sounding and i play with him a lot um i man i'm going to forget something well i do know that you are willing to play it at
0: fons which we appreciate and also oh, yeah. that uh, you won't just play anything. Like, you have a high standard about yeah. what you do, which is commendable. Well, F-bomb,
1: it can be different every show, so you know. And the first one I did was Queen. Yeah. And Derek, that. Derek Hawkins called me up, and he said, Hey, um, we're doing this Queen F-bomb, and we just need some more guitar in this show, because there's a lot of harmonies and stuff yep. like that. And I had just seen, I had just been to your 100th show, which was already a long time now. It was already a long time ago. We're about to hit 150. But it had been a while since I, I was at an F-bomb, because you guys were at the Delancey before that, and and this is the first time I saw you guys at Arlene's, and the band was really good. Derek was playing guitar, and I was like, it's a good band. And so when he called me up, um, first of all, Queen is probably my favorite band or maybe my second favorite band you know like it's not exactly easy material it's not easy material but it's material that i know so well like just from it's i've been listening to queen longer than any band so i i was like and i know that you know it was the band was going to be good and Derek, is a great guitar player so i was like yeah absolutely and we had a blast with queen and i guess um since then You've done a few. I've done, um, let me think, if I, see if I can remember all the ones. Judas Priest. With Danzo on the other guitar. With Danzo on guitar, second guitar. Pat Benatar. Right. Um, I know you did the one that you put together, the uh, post-punk yeah. show. Yeah, it was sort of like a, a variety of post-punk tunes. That was fun. I got to sing some Fugazi. and uh, That's right, yeah. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I did um, Black Sabbath, the Dio years. Right. And Prince, Prince, uh, the emergency Motorhead F-bomb that we put together right, in very short. Not knowing that that was going to happen. Yeah, right after Lemmy's death. Right. Yeah, that so, was yes. Yeah. I jumped on that. That, that was special. easy for me because yeah. I had already, I've played in a Motorhead tribute band. So Which one? <laughs> Gimme <Give> Head? <laughs> yes. Gimme Head, okay. Yeah. I, I, didn't, it was... I didn't come up with that name. No. <laughs> that's, no. that's Mike Dolan. We know Mike Dolan from F- FTW.
0: I've yeah, known the guy for years. FTW
1: and Turbo ACs. Turbo yeah. ACs, yep. Great
0: guy. Yeah, I go way back with the Turbo ACs. I knew yeah. them when they were called Groove Pusher before they were Turbo ACs. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Groove Pusher. That was their original name. A they cool had a, name. They had a lead singer named Dave Crook, who was a dude from Austin, Texas, who I met when I guess I was in college. So that band has a long history.
1: Wow. But Kevin was always the guy. Yeah. In that band. Um, so yeah, that that was. Um, and then the last one I did, the last F bomb, was the decades one at Gramercy Theater. That was fun. That was fun. That was a lot of stress
0: for me, but it uh, yeah. turned out all right. You know, it turned to, out great. Trying to sell tickets for that was the big like oh shit because now we got to sell we got to make this place at least we
1: did about three fifty out of six fifty so I think we did a pretty good job with that yeah you know? and it was I I mean it felt like, um, it felt like there was a good, appreciable amount of people there that were, like, really having a good time. So, yeah, it felt really good. We got invited back, and that was the goal. So, yeah. now we can
0: do stuff at Gramercy Theater, and then Live Nation knows who we are, Yeah. which was the goal, you know. And uh, we did also that summer, we did that boat thing with uh, Off, which is another company, you know, where we wanted to make our presence known, so we could do more stuff outside of our normal home base which is Arlene's grocery you know right which seems to be like the home base for new york city rock and roll at the moment
1: cuz there's not that much else going on at the you know yeah 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 well i mean you have arlene's as far as like the lower east side you know manhattan it really is kind of the only game in town I mean, you and got then bowery electric bowery electric yeah true and then uh, arlene's is just a little more user friendly than bowery electric i think i feel the same way yeah now that they've added a green room, especially,
0: it's even nicer. At Arlene's? Yeah. That, See, I haven't they, seen this yet. It's in the basement where they used to have that 24-track recording uh, set up. Oh, wh- wh- where did they put that? They got rid of it. I guess Literally. they just took it out. Yeah. They had a whole deck in there for mixing live stuff.
1: Sure. And you could pay Arlene's to do like a pro-level recording of your set. No, I, I've done it. I've, I've paid yeah. them for that before. I remember Danny used to be the engineer. Yeah. They, they took that out, and now that room is like the green room. Yeah, because I guess it wasn't getting used enough
0: to make it worth taking up the space. You oh, know? That's so good. I'm so looking forward to it. I'm nice. playing there next week. So. Yeah, I know. Uh, Sex slave show. Yeah. This probably won't come out before then because right. we have another episode lined up. Oh, it was a great show. Epic oh, yeah. show. It was amazing. <laughs> it will be. I'm going to mm-hmm. stop by. You guys are on Wednesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday is, it, uh, is Honor Among Thieves. Yes. And Neither Night is featuring Snake Canyon. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Today, I right? think they feel like uh, they owe me a favor or something, because I played on Eric's single for nothing last year. He had oh, a single fancy. called, uh, I Want to Chainsaw Your Face. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Put a guitar solo on it. <laughs> well, I know uh, you just recently played on Tommy Von Voigt's record,
0: too. Yes, is, I did. It's okay. a lot of fun. That was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's an interesting record. Yes. Actually, Tommy and I are going in two weeks upstate to search out camps for the F camp. Project that we're going to be doing is summer camp of f bomb meatballs type of thing. At a summer camp where we can all go up there and pretend to see eighties again. But anyway, um, posted on that. Let's let's go back. Let's rewind a little here. And this is the format of the podcast. Is um, so you know it's about getting to know the people that are in f bomb and the yeah. people that are in that family and uh, knowing. I found out a lot of interesting things about some of the guests. You know, some mm-hmm. people that I've known who have been in rock in the rock scene for a really long time, and I'm like, wow, you've only ever had one band. Or mm. that you grew up in a very restrictive sort of religious background, you know, things that I wouldn't have kind of imagined. Yeah. You know, just the sort of interesting backstories. So yeah, yeah. So what's your backstory? Where are you from? Um, uh, what planet were you born yeah. on, by the way?
1: back Backstory is that I was born on the planet of Pennsylvania. Okay. Suburban Pennsylvania, not far from Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, that's also where Crystal Durant is, hails from. Oh yeah? Yeah. Not, I'm not Don't remember what town, but outside of Philly. Yeah. I mean, I lived in a few towns, but basically west of Philly. Uh Uh-huh. Um, pretty standard suburban middle class kind of deal. What did your parents do? Um, well, my dad, uh, was an engineer and then he was a, a preacher, a Baptist minister, so here, okay. here comes your, your repressive well, it religious it seems upbringing. to be a theme, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did that for like six years. And then he, he joined the aerospace industry. So he was like a scientific engineer type of... Yeah. Okay. So he went from preaching the gospel to building That's the a weapons st- of mass destruction. <laughs> interesting cross-section of uh, yeah. interest. Oh, there's so much, you know, there's so much uh, sanctioned warfare in the Bible anyway. Why not? Sure, it all. I guess he blends. squared
0: it in his own mind, so it doesn't really matter. To, yeah, to anyone else. Yeah, I mean, in in keeping with the modern credo of Christian yeah. beliefs that make no sense and that Christ would totally
1: not be down with. It's sort of like a buffet version. Like you just take whatever you like off the buffet. Sure. The, re- the re- what, what you don't want to take, you just leave. You take all the seafood and you leave <laughs> the abortion, or <laughs> vice versa. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you grew up in a sort of a religious...
1: Yeah, so like... Were you sent to religious school? No, no, just regular public school. All right. But, you know, we had to go to church. Um, Did your mom have autonomy, or was she just a churchy wife? My mom was like the choir director. Okay. She was like the housewife for the most part. She started working, I guess, um, when I was getting towards the end of high school, but... um, Yeah, my mom worked for QVC for a while, and then she worked for, I mean, she just had some kind of like database manager type jobs, Mm -hmm. but um, just pretty, pretty standard, um, kind of boring suburban life. Um, But yeah, when I started getting into music, um, it it was not well received because they, my parents, well, of course, I mean, were afraid that the music would corrupt me morally and, and so it has. And so it has. But, I mean, it, it, your mother, you said your mother was a choir uh, leader. Yeah. So there was music. There was music in the, the house. house yeah. My mom's a very, very um, good trained, classically trained singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's done some pro stuff. Um, you know, she's performed with the Philadelphia Orchestra. Musical gospel or... type stuff? No, like classical. Um, you know, like she, she performed... She she would be in in, she was in a group called the Mendelssohn Club, which was like a choral group that did um, work with the Philadelphia Orchestra. So um, classical singing, not gospel. Right. Um, But yeah, so I had a lot of classical music in the house growing up, which kind of seeped in, I think, subconsciously, and I sort of got a renewed interest in that stuff later. But yeah, they, my parents didn't think that my music was real music, and they thought it was um, morally questionable, and, and so on. But they supported me. They bought me my, my original, my first couple of guitars and right. amps, and right. every time I asked for something for my birthday or Christmas... You didn't let you have it. I got it. So they weren't that, they weren't like uh, footloose.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Restrictive. <laughs> they were just kind of like, I'm not <laughs> that sure about this. We, yeah, we don't I mean, like
1: it, but we love our son, so we're gonna. Yeah, it. I mean, and and it coincided with my grades kind of going down the tubes. Sure, well, because that it, happens to a lot of creatives. You know, yeah, happened to me. Yeah, and uh I'll let the listeners be the judge of how creative I am. But, uh well, if you find something that is just so much more interesting to you, I mean, it's it's sure. it's hard to to focus your energy on something that is kind of being rammed down your throat that doesn't seem relevant to your life. It doesn't, it doesn't pique your interest in any way. And I kind of felt that way about school for the most part. And, um, so, you know, it, 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 that was another sticking point, but the the good side of it was that I didn't really get into that much trouble because I was like in my room playing guitar all the time. So I wasn't out, um, getting arrested except that one time i'm imagining that that's still how it is for you to some degree (laughs) yeah yeah it is i mean it's like you know i didn't go to jail i didn't get any chicks pregnant i wasn't doing any drugs i was really just playing rock and roll playing music and 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 um they probably didn't appreciate it at the time but i was really kind of like developing a discipline sure um so yeah, it was, uh, and, and now, now my parents are just, you know, they're totally, totally on board with everything I do. They've loosened up and... That's good. You know, it's interesting. The calling of playing like rock music
0: can hit yeah. anyone, basically. I mean, I'm from a liberal Jewish background where being artistic was like kind of expected or yeah. and also reinforced, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But still resistance from my mother when I started coming home dressed With like Blackie Lawless with like chainsaws and shit hanging off of me, buzzsaw blades. And you know, she was like, All right, this has gone a little bit over the edge, (laughs) but you know, it's interesting how (laughs) the buzzsaw con piece. Yeah, well, I had I used to (laughs) strap them onto my sleeves of my denim jack or leather jacket. I would get confiscated at school in the morning. Every morning, they'd be like, All right, you have to take these things off of your clothes. Yeah, yeah, I was really into the metal, but um, you know, I find it interesting that. The rock and roll sort of bug can just kind of hit anyone from anywhere, at least in our generations. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean... I mean, it still happens to the young people. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I have a guitar student who's um, 16, and he he's a really good guitar player, and he's into all the same music I was into. Right. Well, that's... I mean, there's not much else to choose from now. Well, hes he doesn't like hip-hop, and the only music that scratches the itch for him is is stuff that was made way before he was born. So, I mean, it's it's amazing. The the things that he gravitates to are all the same songs that I wanted to learn when I started out. It's like everybody wants to play Smoke on the Water. You know, if you want to play a guitar and make that noise, there's certain, like, Mount Rushmore-type riffs. That Mississippi Queen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mississippi Queen. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Highway to Hell, Iron Man. Um war pigs, you know, war pigs. whole lot of love. Whatever. Oh, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Super riffs. Yeah. But um, you know, speaking of young influences on, on, on young minds. Yeah. What were the first things that you
1: found yourself gravitating well, Queen, towards? As I mentioned before, right. Queen was the first band. How did you remember first time you heard Queen or It's very random how it happened. I was in seventh grade and we had a pep rally. And um I didn't even know what a pep rally was. Yeah. Um, but it was the first one I'd ever been to and it was like, you know, a pep rally I guess is just like it Sounds like a cocaine party. It just gets <laughs> yeah. um this is a very chaste pep rally. Yes. Um like archie style. Yeah. And it was basically just um, you know, it's just, it was just like getting everyone pumped up for the big game that weekend, you know? Right. Which I couldn't have cared less about. But, you know, they had, like, the marching band there playing, and then at some point, like, a rock band started playing. Was it and, We Will Rock You? Was that the no, it was, song? No, well, it was... I don't remember anything that they played except for one song, and it was Another One Bites the Dust. Okay. And I don't know if it was because the sound was probably so bad in this gymnasium, you know, just bouncing all over the place. And when you think about Another One Bites the Dust, it's got so much space, and it's so simple. Mm-hmm. And but it's it probably translated better than any of the other songs in the I gym. see what you're saying. And you know, it's funny, because that's the song that I sang when we did Queen.
0: Because that was right. the only Queen song I was confident in challenging, you know, because A, I can kind of rap. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And B, I wasn't going to go all operatic on everybody. Right. So <laughs> I do remember that, and I waited two extra bars to come in, and I remember you looking at me like, what the hell are you doing, man?
1: <laughs> I can't believe you remember that little
0: detail. No, I remember, because everybody's, like, kind of afraid of you, in a way, where they don't want to upset your, they don't want to upset your, like, perfectionism, you know, um, I'm not really afraid of many, but, well, you know, we like to, like, knows. when you're there, we know we got to be on our highest skill levels.
1: Well, I know that record so well, that, that song, mm-hmm. you know, because I was completely obsessed with it when I was 12, whatever, but. Yeah, so, like, I, I I became obsessed with Queen, but then I started to realize that I really wanted the band, I wanted to listen to bands that just had the guitars up all the time. Right. Like, Queen, you'd listen to a Queen record, and you'd get a few of those, and then you'd get, like, a Calypso tune, or, like, a Cocktail Jazz. Sure. Or, like, something 1920s- yeah. Flavored, yeah, British type of thing, where they would... Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, like, super eclectic, and... And that's the kind of thing that I appreciate more now, but um, at the time I was kind of like antsy to just have more and more like loud I get it. guitars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went through a <laughs> period where I could only just like thrash was the
0: only thing I really did yeah. it for me. Yeah,
1: you know, which is eventually where I ended up. You know, like I I discovered you know the gateway bands. You know, ACDC loud sure. guitars all the time. Van Halen loud guitars all the time. Black yep. Sabbath yep. was like. A real important band because it was like, they also brought the lyrical themes that I really wanted to hear as a, like a teenage boy, like the party, get laid, drinking yeah, shots, kiss, kiss. lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Like that kind of stuff didn't resonate with me because, uh, you know, whatever. I was like prepubescent. Yeah. You know, I, get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, didn't, I never had a, a whiskey before. I had the Dungeons and Dragons thing going on. Yeah. That, that was like, you know, I had a horror movie, uh, Fetish that was like satisfied by a band like Black Sabbath. Sure. Like, well, I mean, their name comes directly from a horrible movie. Right. You know. So to me, that was like exactly the perfect storm of just you know the dark lyrical themes, the questionable relationship with with Satanism. Sure. You know, like is it just an interest or are they actual dabblers? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it definitely helps move some records and it, it helps create interest.
0: Yeah. And definitely. Back in those days, Sabbath was really considered to be threatening you know yeah yeah now Ozzy's like a some sort of stuffed animal <laughs> but uh, at yeah. the time you know like I I was telling Garrett in the last interview uh, my first album I ever owned was uh Master of Reality that's the, your very first album was Master of Reality uh, yeah it was like this weird situation where I ended up with that album randomly because somebody said I'm moving to a commune and everyone that comes into my home takes a record home with them just take a record any record and oh, I just wow. happened to pull that out of the, oh out of the God. ether, and it basically everything I listened to from there on out was based on that, you know. Yeah, That's like, that such was like the great cool. choice. I know it's crazy. I still have that copy. I I don't want to
1: repeat from last episode, but yeah, it's a good anecdote. That was an album that I, like, I was constantly trying to prove to my parents that the bands I listened to were not devil worshipers <laughs> 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 so They weren't. They were so. intelligent. Yeah. And that that was that album was important because after forever. Is a very like Yeah, well, yeah Old Testament kind of like lyrical theme. Like it's very much like to see the Pope on the end of a rope. Yeah, well I mean but it's I mean I I think that's a rhetorical question in the song, but it's like it's like I've seen the truth and I've seen light. They're talking like a born again person that that has just come out of the abyss or something, and it was weird. It was like for me it was like I knew that their other songs were not did not have that angle. So I was trying to square it with everything else and I'm like, why did they make this one song like that? But I I showed it to my parents. I was like, look,
0: look, they're
1: Christians. Look at this. The the, the lyrics are on the record label.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On the album. Yeah, Yeah, they were. Right. Um, So like, one of the things that we do talk about is uh, what was the first record that you remember going out physically to purchase? Like, 45, 8-track, cassette. Like, what do you remember <coughs> from being like, I'm going to spend my money? Well, the first one was Queen, the game, because okay. it had
1: another one, Bites the Dust. Okay. So I wanted to have that So This, is, this is your ground zero. Yeah. And then it whole, was... Everything. Then I heard the rest of the album, and I, I was just complete. I mean, I was already aware of Queen. I mean, everybody knows... Mm-hmm we will rock you, we are the champions and all these songs and stuff like that. But for me, it just never, there's just a, there's like a flashpoint. Like when you hit a certain age and all of a sudden it's like music, it's like, it suddenly means everything to you. Like you were aware of music before and you might've had moments where, where your ears perked up. At one thing or another, but there, there's something that happens where all of a sudden you realize you're completely fucking obsessed with it. I think when you go from listening to the radio to collecting yeah. music
0: is kind of that moment, you know, yeah. from like I need to own these things instead of oh, I'll just hear whatever WPLJ or yeah, know, whatever radio station you grew up
1: listening to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I used to just Sit there and tape songs off the radio, and anything that had guitars was good for me in the beginning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, yeah, I mean, when, once I once I realized that I like the heavy stuff, it was I got more and more exclusive, and then next thing you know, it's Slayer and Megadeth and sure, Pantera and things like that, where it's just the guitars are just brutal and loud all the time. That's good shit, though. Um, I mean, I I think you know
0: nowadays people like have way made many more distractions than we did growing up. Where you can focus yeah. in on music. Now it's got video games and your cell phone and yeah, all those social medias and stuff. And I think that might have something to do with the fact that music's not as entrenched in totally. the in the youth experience. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, growing up, it's not like holy shit, I gotta go see this concert
1: or I gotta go. You know, there's something lost now. It's it's sad. Oh, for sure. I mean. <laughs> And I'm not going to say that it's not, we don't have like incredible like upsides to the experience now, but it's also, um, everybody just takes music for granted. And that's like, you can't argue that. I mean, when, when you, when a thing is free and you can have it anytime, uh, wherever you are, um, without paying for it, you're going to take it for granted. You know, it's like, it's like going to the, to the sink to get a glass of water. You're not going to be like, Oh my God. God, this glass of water. I'm so, I am can't wait to have a sip of this water. Sure. It's like, it's there. It's just, but if you know what, if shit suddenly was like, you can't get any water. Right. You're going to be like, holy shit, water is fucking amazing. Yeah. If water. you have to leave your house to get it and you have to yeah. save money to pay for it. So like when you invest in something, you appreciate it more. And it's the same thing as porn. <laughs> no, you're going to have to explain that. Well, back when we were growing up, you had to leave your house to get porn. Oh. <laughs> it didn't just get, it didn't just show up in the your mu- The musty, the musty copy of like a, a playboy in the woods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that somebody hiding a pillowcase in the, in the fucking treehouse or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. There's, I, I, I totally think that because everyone's distracted and because music is free and people take it for granted, um, people aren't. People aren't really, um, really trying to get to know the music in a meaningful way anymore. And I'm exactly the same way. Like I'm not absolving myself, but like, you know, if I download an album, I put it on and I'm multitasking right away, and sure. I might even forget that it's on. I might even forget in a few weeks that I bought it. I don't really even buy things. I buy old things. You know, I, I buy still buy vinyl.
0: And the only music that's new that I listen to is like usually my friends' bands. Yeah. You know, when they're when they're like, Hey, we got a new record, I'll check it out. You know, but I don't really seek out like who's the good new metal bands or Yeah. You know, it's sad, but I used to be really fervently involved in every new thing that came out. But yeah. now I'm like I don't know I don't know shit.
1: Yeah. Well, um I try to get as much new music into my diet as possible. But it's it's hard because like I don't I don't have as many pipelines as I used to have as far as like curators that tell you like here's What's some good. cool new stuff you know like yeah. there used to be like one one of my big things was 120 minutes on MTV you know like I would record it on my parents VCR every week and watch it on Monday mm-hmm. and I learned about so many bands from that that's funny because that's the theme of our F <clears throat> bomb <clears throat> what. 120 minutes we're doing
0: like what we're calling 180 minutes yes yeah. it's a three-hour show but we're doing a set
1: of like alt rock from oh, that cool. time period cool cool yeah. yeah yeah so stuff like that and you know um i don't know there used to just be more exciting shit magazines out. and djs and people that you could listen sure. to and, and be sure you're going to find out about something cool um but anyway so i try to try to and hear as much new great new stuff as possible and, and support it and buy it and go see them live and everything. But it's still not the same experience downloading something and having just a, a folder on your computer. It's so boring. Sure. It's so boring. Or, you know, as opposed to going out to a record
0: store, yeah, leaving the house, interacting with other people, you know, and physically picking up an item and bringing it home and being like, I can't wait to get this home. Yeah, and listen
1: to it or maybe buying 10 albums and being like holy shit I'm gonna go nuts today yeah and there was a there was a gamble in it because you didn't know what it was gonna sound like nope. you didn't know if it was gonna be good sure but and you something... would sit there and try to like it if you didn't like it right away I would I like if I got a new album by some band that I loved and it didn't click with me right away I'd be like alright I'll keep listening I'm gonna try to like this see what like, they are trying to say might grow on me like I I hope that you know like like track six will suddenly just reach out to me one day or I'd try to listen to the songs in a different order or put random songs in mixtapes so mm-hmm. that they would sneak up on me in a different context. And, you know, I really, really try. And, um, yeah, there's no skin in the game now when you buy an album. If you don't love it, it's sort of like, well, most people don't buy an album. So no, there's absolutely no test skin
0: it before game. they even
1: download it. Yeah. They'll go listen to it on YouTube for free. Or steal it. You know. I, d- I do that. I listen to it if I can for free, and then if I if I like it, I I buy it. Mm-hmm. But most people will just add it to Spotify, and um, and it just gets shuffled in with everything else, and it's kind of like a, a melange. Yeah, I don't
0: know. My band put out our album on vinyl, so it's not. Mm-hmm. We not We never uploaded it at all. Yeah. So we're just like. Does it have a download that comes with it? Yeah, it does. Okay, but uh, that's good. You know, we're about to put out our next album, and we're just going to do that as a download card, and that's it. We're not doing any CD or any format, really. Yeah, just yeah. Just download. But we're going to have some, like, additional art and things like posters that you can print out and shit like that. Yeah. But uh, putting things out on vinyl, there's an upside and a downside because people enjoy vinyl still, and people that collect vinyl, it's kind of a fetish thing now. Yeah. But it's still, like, relevant, you know, in a smaller way. But it's also cumbersome and then yeah. it's not out there, you know? Yeah. We intentionally, like, didn't put it out there as, like, you know, on YouTube as segments or anything like that. Right. So we're going to do a totally different thing this time around because I still have, like, 100 copies of the album sitting,
1: taking up space in my closet. It reminds <laughs> me of, um, on, on, Motorhead's album, on their live album, um, I think it was the second I'm live still? album. Oh, no. And it was called No Sleep At All. Yeah. Yeah. Or or um, or I forget. Yeah, it was no sleep. But Maybe the one from everything the louder movies. than everything else is that. No, it's not that one. Okay. But he goes. They, they're about to play "Killed by Death," and he goes. This next song was a big hit for us. I've got ten thousand copies of it in my house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I remember when that song came out. I think that was Great on the audio. No Remorse uh, compilation. Yeah, yeah. It's-
1: That's a great, great, great motorhead. If you don't
0: mind, let's backtrack a little bit. Yeah. And uh, tell me about when you went from
1: listening to playing. Um, When did you pick up a guitar? I I, I became an avid air guitarist, um, and I even even made cardboard guitars that I could use in front of the mirror. Very Iron Maiden of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a bunch of cardboard ones. I had a wooden one that... My my friend's dad was a carpenter. Made for me, and you did it lefty back then. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I knew I was left-handed. There's no question. We were talking last episode about how
0: how counterintuitive it is with guitar playing that your dominant hand does the picking, and your you know your other hand is on the fret, fretboard, where yeah. we, you would think that your dominant hand would be doing the
1: fretting for some reason before yeah. you actually play yeah yeah I don't know i I can't really I can't really answer that. It um, seems... I just think that if you if you automatically start hitting with one hand and the other hand automatically <laughs> wants to oh, sure I mean it's just lefties often get talked out of being lefties because you know, parents will say yeah that's that's diabolical or you know there's just not gonna we're gonna have a hard time finding you an instrument, so why don't you just play righty and that, I think that's like a crime. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's it's you know it, it's absurd. Yeah, but anyway, so I, I i found a guitar. I found an acoustic guitar in my grandmother's closet when I was like, probably fourteen. Uh huh. And I started plunking around on it, and I was like, Wait a minute! I think I'm playing this thing. I think I'm playing the guitar. Well, yeah. I was just playing single note riffs, you know, on a one string. My drink. version of, of Iron Man, <laughs> like smoke on the water and all that. So I was like, Can I take this home? And uh, yeah, my grandmother let me take it home, and I just kind of messed around on it for a few months. And I asked for an electric guitar for my fifteenth birthday, so that's really when I started playing. When I got the electric, I started taking lessons. And what was the first model that you had? <laughs> Being a lefty, um, there weren't a lot of choices, but there was this, um, there was this uh, flying V copy. Uh-huh. This Lefty Flying V copy that was in our local music store. Okay. Which was great because to me, I mean like a classic Flying V, like a like, like a 50s. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I was like, I want that because that's a cool, that yeah. just looks cool. Looks I didn't know anything about whether it was going to sound good. Or sitting down and playing it was going to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was good for me because I, I basically just played standing up all the time, which is something a lot of people don't learn. Um but yeah, so I just got this, like, kind of generic Flying V thing and a little practice amp and uh, just tried to learn as many songs as I could, and g- gradually, as my skill level expanded, I was able to learn more complicated songs and started doing some lead guitar-type stuff, and then that started to expand. and Did meanwhile, you take like, any lessons? I was taking lessons for about... Yeah, that was one of the conditions. I had to take lessons. If they were going to get me an electric guitar, then I had to, like, learn properly, etc., but... The lessons didn't last long because he was trying to kind of teach me in a more traditional, you know, sight-reading kind of way. And I, it just didn't It's why I never actually cottoned to
0: playing guitar. Yeah. Because I had to take lessons. And it was an old woman who was trying to teach me how to play, like, uh, you know, just like Peter Paul and Mary songs Yeah. And things like that. And I was just like, really? Yeah. You know, leaving on a jet plane, things like that. Right.
1: And I was, like, listening to Slayer. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that. And I was learning so fast on my own at home, just by ear, picking up songs and stuff. I, I was like, I, I think I'm good. Like, I don't think I need the lessons. So you think I had a natural knack for playing guitar? Yeah. I, my parents appreciated it. And so we res- respectfully cut loose the teacher. Okay. And I was playing with some friends of mine at this point, a, bro- a pair of brothers that played bass and drums. And we were just kind of... Playing whatever cover tunes we could, and I was like writing my own tunes. And we played the talent show. Is that your first gig? My first gig was the talent show. Still the best gig I've ever played. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you
0: want to you want to shed some light on what happened? That means no, it, it was so great. Just,
1: it was just like all the kids in school were there, and they went crazy. Okay. And um, do you remember what was in the set? Paranoid. Okay. Another one bites of dust. No. <laughs> Who was singing? nobody sang just, instrumental, <laughs> just instrumental we did yeah we just did instrumental <laughs> versions and there was a guitar solo there was a drum solo we played balls to the wall which is still one of my favorite okay. metal songs of all time it's a classic I guess we only online, knew like. how to play a certain number of songs so yeah, like, yeah. sure It'd so case. we knew how to play like rocky like a hurricane and paranoid and so this is like 85, 84, 85, something like it's that. It's a little later than 86, that. 86. But it's. 2003. Basically, like basically <laughs> it was like we we were playing the songs that we knew, that we were able to handle after having, like, we'd all been playing guitar, drums, bass for a year. Okay. Or a year and a half or something. So we were huh? serious novices. So we weren't able to play Slayer. Sure. Um, we were able to play these kind of simple tunes. That's so um, fun. Those songs are classics, yeah, so um so yeah, and and um you know, by the time I was eighteen, I was playing in pro bands, you know yeah and and you're still in in Pennsylvania, yeah, okay, but i didn't uh I didn't last long in Pennsylvania because um it's just not really a music scene there, Right. and um so what I, were some of these bands that you were? I played in a cover band that was already working that needed a guitarist. I played in some original bands. Any any, any good names in there? Want to throw some names in I played in a great band called The Shakes. Okay. Which was... We we wrote original tunes and we played a bunch of cover tunes that kind of blended well with our originals. The cover tunes were like everything from Nine Inch Nails to White Zombie to... um, Black Sabbath and Alice in Chains and ACDC and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm guessing this is around early nineties. This is like, yeah, it was like 93 or so. Sure. And, um, yeah. So that was a great band. We had a good following and everything, but we knew that a lot, a lot of the people were coming because of the cover tunes. And it's just in Pennsylvania, you know, particularly outside of Philadelphia, it's kind of, you just play covers or you don't get a gig. Okay. Kind well, of. I mean, that's kind of what New York's becoming at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still got our little underground scene here, but. Uh. Well, I hope it doesn't go too far in that direction. But, um, but what I loved about New York was that it's all about original bands and people just really following their own path. Like you could be really extreme here. You could be really out there and you'd find a support group. You'd find people that, that would fly your flag, you know? Mm-hmm. And what was the first uh, thing that you ever recorded? What the, Do you remember the first time you ever went to well, the studio? And, oh, my first, well, my first, mean, first thing I ever recorded was like crappy, you know, four, four track demos at home. Um, <clears throat> but that band, The Shakes, did some some pro recordings. Okay. Well, I'm trying to set this up for the first. And they sound good. They still sound really you good. You still have that stuff? Oh, I have everything. Okay, great. I'm an archivist. I I, I kind of figured that
0: this wasn't going to be difficult because yeah. Sometimes we do these episodes and we have to chase the music down for. A oh, month. I'll send you. I'll send you a Shakes tune. Yeah. Okay. So you so want you want to you wanna take a little break here? Play sure. some Shakes. Sure. And we'll come back and we'll do another another segment. All, All right. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, this is Andy Blacksugar and the Shakes. You got a song in mind or you want to just like plug yeah. it in? Yours is mine. All right, so this is Yours is Mine by the Shakes. And we'll be back after this commercial break. Stay tuned.
1: <laughs> Who's the sponsor?
2: 226 0841, the Pocono Gardens Lodge. That's your honeymoon hotline at Pocono Gardens Lodge, paradise for honeymoon lovers. Play tennis, swim, have a ball. Winter, spring, summer, fall. The reservations call... 226-0841. Four, four, the Pocono Garden's not.
0: That was The Shakes, and you're listening to WF Bomb Radio, and we're here with Andy Blacksugar. And anyway, just fucking around. Um, Alright, so here we go, part two. Uh, Let's talk about New York. When did you come to New York? 1996. Okay. And you've been here ever since, huh? I have, yes. Brooklyn? I'm a prisoner of New York. Oh, very good. I like that. It was Very clever. Um, Who came yeah. up with that name? I
1: lived in Brooklyn, but I did live in the East Village for two years. Who came up with the name of the band? Well, Shane wrote a song called um, I'm a Prisoner of New York City. And okay. we were trying to think of a band name. And Shane was coming up with all these Always fun. bad band names. And I was shooting down one after another. Right. I was like, wait a minute. Prisoners of New York. Like, you, you already wrote the band name. <laughs> I mean, let's... Come on, that's what the, then, half the songs are about. This and then the it's it's Pony and it's, it's Pony. an Acronym. It's a great acronym. Yeah. Anything that the acronyms well is is uh, sure man worth pursuing. And you've got a great a great lineup of talented guys.
0: Yeah. You've got the inimitable Fernando Rosario. Inimitable. A very old and good friend of mine. hmm Ancient. Person. Oh yeah. He's fucking old. <laughs> I mean, I've known him since high school. <laughs> I met met him through his brother, who went to uh, art and design high school, Uh hung out at art and design where I went. And we've been friends and, you know, also enemies at moments through the years. Yep. But those are the best friendships. Enemies. and
1: adversaries.
0: Yeah. Fradversaries. (laughs) Anyway, um, let's get back to this. But yeah,
1: I live in, I've been in Williamsburg most of the time um, that I've been in New York City, so... Um, but I, I was here for the tail end of of, of uh, East Village being a place that was affordable, and yeah, and with a lot of like really cool music things going on too. Yeah, everything was here. It was all really nice and convenient. The clubs were sure. You know, yeah, like I mean, was definitely an active member of all that
0: yeah. scene. I mean, probably before we had actually been introduced,
1: we had seen each other places. Oh yeah. I mean, I used to to live on 11th and 1st, and so I would... Right in the middle of all... Walk to all my gigs, you know, Mm -hmm. Brownies, Mercury Lounge, Luna Lounge, Arlene's, Continental, CBGB's... Space Chase. Remember that place? Was that before your time? That was before my time. I was here for the very end of the spiral. Oh, okay. (laughs) That was one of my haunts. I played a few shows there. I, I used time.
0: to hang out there before they had shows, you know, they had a pool table oh, yeah? back there before there was a stage, and that pool table had seen a lot of crazy activity around that pool table.
1: Oh, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> some stories, but That's they're not for this podcast. Any any uh, pool table worth its salt should have some some lurid, lurid tales. No, oh,
0: no, it was like a pool team made up of some of the craziest characters of the East Village. Yeah. Just like very scary people that yeah. I used to run with and... They made me captain because I was the nicest guy on the team. Yeah, and uh, also least least intimidating. Yeah, but um, yeah, I remember when they first oh, Spiral eventually had bands in the basement, which had no stage. It was just I don't remember a basement, basement yeah. with you and a band right in front of you in a, like a cube. Mm. It was brutal. But then they ended up having shows up in the back, and I remember I had a band that played there, and I remember my line was "Thank you, everybody, for showing up to work tonight." Because that was the audience Yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) The staff Yes The captive audience
1: But um, But yeah, so So tell me about Like who were you playing with When you came to New York Like did you just I just I just I came here with no plan Um, I started answering ads In the Village Voice I started getting into bands And playing out And My first gig here Was at the Limelight I've heard of it At the Vampire's Ball Okay so i was playing in this goth metal band at so the when time. did you sort of start going into a gothic sort of vibe well i was already a huge fan of you know when i when i moved to new york i was already like a massive fan of post punk music and right. you know the cure and the banshees and bauhaus and industrial music and okay. you know all that kind of stuff like so you sort of transitioned from like the heavier thrashy shit into that or was it simultaneous oh yes no, I definitely. It's it's not like a transition. It's just that I I as a guitar player, I realized I didn't want to just become like a shredder, a one channel type of musician, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I became interested in other types of guitar players, and then other types of music. And I realized I love pop music, and that's very non metal. It's very like frowned upon if you're if you're supposed to be a card carrying metalhead. And I, well. I realized like I just didn't care to be in this this like now yeah. yeah and I, you know completely fell in love with the cure and the type of guitar playing that came out of the post punk movement that was really like kind of opposite to metal in a way because it, it it wasn't it wasn't just loud aggression all the time but it could still be really heavy and powerful it was more like about atmosphere and, and space. layering yeah. And space yeah. yeah totally so <laughs> By the time I moved to New York, I was ready to go to the goth clubs and right. ready to go to Batcave and Limelight and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, I kind of kicked what around and one? played Z- for bands. A place called
0: The Zone DK? Do you remember that place? No, I don't. Okay, that was another big goth spot probably
1: before. Well, yeah. the places I remember were The Bank, obviously. Yeah, okay. And a place called Cybar. Okay. I've heard of it. c i bar, sidebar? It wasn't my scene, but I knew everybody in every scene at that point in time. Dave Kendall, who was the original host of 120 Minutes, yeah. was the DJ there. Okay. So,
0: you know, my interest <coughs> in that stuff kind of peaked when I was in college, when I got uh, in the flat field. Mm-hmm. That album, to me, was like, wow, this is like metal, but it's not metal. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't really need... I had a Christian death album. Yeah. Had a had spe- that specimen... Uh, you know 12 inch record Mm -hmm. and that was kind of my dabbling into that yeah and I kind of was immediately sucked into like hardcore and I got I got going into the hardcore scene and you know anything closely with wearing any spikes or black or makeup or all that stuff just was like no more of that yeah yeah hardcore now yeah yeah yeah. but um you know I, I I still feel like today if you have flatfield you don't need any other goth album really I'm kind of <laughs> like the final word but then again i don't know
1: much about i i i would disagree i would i would recommend like half a dozen must have albums to get into goth but right. that's one of them for sure or actually the second of mask i would i would even pick hmm. over flatfield but um yeah anyway so um, I digress. So yeah, I mean, I basically just came here and started playing in bands, started teaching guitar, doing whatever I could to make money. I did have to take a part time job. Oh my god, for a that couple must have been years. So terrible for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was actually not a bad job. It was, it was a music industry job, so it was kind of still in in my zone a little bit. But right. I couldn't wait to to not have to do that anymore. Um, Take it from me as a guy who has to get up and go to work every single morning. Yeah.
0: And didn't used to. Yeah. That's the preferred uh, Yeah, mode is not it's, to... it's,
1: I'm completely motivated by fear. Of having a normal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> that terrifies me. Yeah, it sucks shit.
0: So <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a way back out of it. <laughs> Excuse me, I've got a little bit of a frog in my throat here.
1: Okay, well, have a sip of your, your Highway to Hell water there. Yeah, thank you. I have a highway to hell coffee mug at home. Um, we have that in common. But the next, I, I would say, just to skip, you know, to I, I played in bands and stuff, and I was just doing a lot of gun for hire shit when I first moved here. But the most notable thing that I did uh, in New York at that point, at that point, was uh, my, I put my own band together called Pop Star Kids, and we were together for six years, and then we made three albums, and. Um, were they for a label or independently released, or what it was, it was independently released, and we were. We had a really good thing going. We had a great following, and we we were kind of at the tail end of like when getting a, a record deal actually mattered. And we had like a moment where we had all this sudden interest, and labels were flying in to see us, and all this stuff, and then it all just suddenly vanished. And then like one of the members quit, and our manager. Quit and our entertainment lawyer went quiet. Unraveled, and it was six years at that point. It was kind of like, yeah, that's a long time. I'm I'm done. Be down with one thing, and ever since then, I haven't really actively tried to pursue, um, like pushing my own band, you know, into the stratosphere from the clubs of New York. Like, I just don't want to do that. It's an almost impossible task. Yeah. I mean, um, how many bands have actually made it out of this city? I mean, yeah,
0: not many. Yeah. You and
1: you could say, well, with, you know, for the love of the music and everything, isn't it worth it? And to me, it's not worth it. Like I'm the lead singer. I'm the songwriter. I do all the the booking, the the, the promotional shit. It's like a lot of stuff I don't want to do, you mm-hmm. know, like, so I can happily live without doing that kind the of headaches. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like with Black Sugar Transmission, which is sort of like a solo project of mine that's has been a band, you know, variously over the years. But it's kind of more like a a collective where I make the songs myself, but I bring guest musicians in. And um, it just, I'm not trying to make it as a band. It's a free flowing, yeah, title for things that you do. Yes, yeah. it's sort of like um like a Queens of the Stone Age type of thing. It's like everybody knows that it's Josh right and whoever comes in you know oh it's PJ Harvey here it's Dave Grohl here and right. that makes it interesting it's nice or, to have that kind of a freedom you know yeah and not trying not trying at all to to like make it as a live band because i don't need that at this point i'm happy to just make the records um so um so yeah pop kids basically the that was the aughts for me okay. From 2000 to 2006 I'm extremely proud of the music we made. Um I'm definitely going to send you a song to play. Okay. Well, when the next break we'll play a Yeah.
0: uh a pop, pop star, star kids, kids and maybe a black sugar transmission yeah. song in uh in the break. Sounds good. But um, you know, let's stretch it out a little more. Yeah. Like talk about um what you've seen ha transpire in New York from when you arrived in two- 96 to yeah, yeah. how things are in around 2006. Mm-hmm. Think- so 2006,
1: yeah, um, we're still, still okay in 2006. 2006 was still was still all right because, um, you know the the Lower East Side clubs were still kind of active and um, the iPhone hadn't come out yet. Yeah, you which know, kind of ruined everything. It did kind of ruin everything in a lot of ways. The flip phone was good. That was still fine because you could just get phone calls. I didn't have any kind of phone until 2013. Right. No phone, no cell phone. So I I was adamant against... I had a a beeper when those were around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but that's that's just... That was a professional uh, courtesy. Sure, sure, yeah. Certain um, people in certain lines of work needed to have one of those. Exactly. So Um, they could be in touch at all times. Yeah, so I don't know. I I, I feel like... um, yeah, like the difference between 2006 and 2008 was kind of dramatic in a way. Like, um, what do you think? That was the the, the iPhone. The the advent I don't know. It of just a smartphone seemed, It smartphone. It seems or like a lot of clubs kind of vanished. Went under, yeah, and then, and and I think the iPhone. Like, I know it's crazy. It might sound crazy, but I really think the iPhone has like brought down has has diminished like the engagement of people um, in performance spaces. I think in
0: in life in general, just life walking down the street. I mean, I can't totally. get from one place to another
1: because people are walking, staring down at their little. Screen. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like people are 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 choosing not to engage in real life so that they can they can. Um, it's it's absorb like, this cheap distraction, this cheap little shiny distraction. Yeah, but it's also
0: like when you press that button for morphine. In the hospital, you know, you get a little something out of it. some sort of Yeah. I mean, Saturday Night Live had this uh, comedy, like, fake app commercial, where the app was just your phone shows you what's in front of you as you're walking. So you don't actually look up. You just look at your phone, and you
1: can see what's in front of you while you're walking. You can see a tiny little... Square of... Cheap, uh, low-grade facsimile. Of of exactly what's in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It just blows my mind, like... New York City it's like this place is is such an incredible place you know i mean just the pedestrians alone um but you know look at this city look at the look at the sunsets you know like look up just look like, up i mean jesus yeah i know i mean I, i'm i'm guilty of you know
0: i have the addiction yeah at times too you know but yeah I, I tend not to engage when i'm in what i as a native new yorker consider situations that are potentially Dangerous, which is any time I'm outside in New York City yeah. or on the subway. I don't... You know, I, I like to keep my head on a swivel and see what the fuck is going on around me. Yeah. So I don't know how people can exist just, like, walking around with that shit in their face. And, yeah, yeah this definitely takes away from the live music experience. Right. You know? Like, people's engagement level has never been the same.
1: Yeah, it's it's because people are looking at their phones during the show. They're... Um, they're telling everyone on the internet what they're doing. So it's really more about that for people now. Now it's, it's, it's more about, like, how, how are other people that are not here going to Or they're watching see the, me. the show through their phone because they're filming it.
2: Right,
0: right. And it's a sad thing. I like that thing that uh, I believe the Misfits did it and other performers where they lock up the phones. Yeah. That you can't come into the show with your phone. I and You have to be fully engaged. And I wish there was <laughs> a sort of, like, disruption tool. That you could just turn on in a place to make all phones just not work. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, just like jam the... Like maybe frequency. all cell phones would have to turn off if live music is being played. They just wouldn't work. Yeah, <laughs> I wish. That would Someday. be a utopian solution. Yeah. But anyway...
1: Nevertheless, um, we persist, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, whatever I have to say about like the music scene in New York has already been said before, but sure suffice it to say because of what we said earlier about how music is just not as powerful to people in general as it used to be and that people take it for granted i think that attitude filters down into um the any live music scene people i think are more content to stay at home and um you know, you can get whatever you need at home. You can order you something to, to hook up with. with. Yeah. You can order food. Yeah. Like you can I, I said, order drugs. I don't think people, like <laughs> we were talking about earlier with water,
0: I don't think people really understand how in one day that can all just go away if right. some sort of catastrophic event were to happen. Yeah. And at least being born before that time period, I feel like certain people would be more well equipped to handle a disruption of having to actually go out to get things from the store or having yeah. to go out and you know, whatever it is, you know, to, to exist as a, as a as an
1: engaged person that has to deal with other human beings. Well, I wouldn't be any good. I mean, if they cut down the infrastructure and there's no electricity, I wouldn't know what to do. Right. I don't hunt. Well, according to <laughs> no. I, I know that. <laughs> according to you can hunt humans and then take their things.
0: <laughs> but according to my buddy, a friend of mine who's in the FBI, he says that in the relevance of New York to the national... Uh, structure of this country. It's so important that uh, New York would never be out of commission for more than like forty-eight hours. Like mm. They would have, you know, they have things in, with you know, they have measures in okay. place to make sure that New York can consider continue functioning, at least on some level. Yeah,
1: and that's uh, well. How long was the blackout? Not if we get hit
0: with a nuclear weapon, obviously. But
1: how long was that blackout after after Sandy? No, no, there was one in 03, remember, in the summer? Oh, yeah. I think that was just two days. Okay. I had just moved into this apartment, actually, and uh,
0: I remember I walked down to Motor City, had some warm beers. Yeah. I was watching someone looking around on the floor outside of Tompkins Square Park, and uh, they were searching for a crack rock with their flip phone light on the ground, and I'm like, every single pebble <laughs> on the ground is going to look like a fucking <laughs> crack rock. So, good luck with God. that, pal. Just wow. go buy more crack. You're gonna anyway, but I guess where 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 were we? Um, so you're playing. You, you you stopped playing in the pop star kids <clears throat> pop.
1: was it pop star kids? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, the thing is, like when I was when I was doing that band, I your... when I was doing that band, I was sort of like only playing in that band. I was very monogamous with that band, right. and after that band broke up, I started to open up to doing more like gun for hire type stuff which is kind of what I started doing sure. when I moved to New York and so then that's when I started doing like th- th- that's when I like you know tor- started touring with Peter Murphy how did you get hooked into
0: that <coughs> into that world of being a pro for hire and especially like
1: with some of the people that you obviously have uh respect for and, and admire well it's not that hard to to get hired to play in New York I mean as, as long as you're out there doing it, and people are aware of you, and they know that you do a good job, and so on. But um, the Peter Murphy thing was just like a word of mouth situation where uh, he needed a guitar player on really short notice, and a mutual friend kind of this guy can put handle us in touch. T- yeah. yeah, so like th- this guy's like, just get this guy, he can do it. And he knows the stuff <clears> okay, probably. <throat> I probably. I didn't know it, to be honest. I-, I did have to learn it all in three days. Okay. Thirty songs. So um Well you managed to pull it off. I managed to pull it off. And um yeah, so um yeah, basically played with Peter for about three years. Not constantly, but you know. Mm-hmm. Bunch of tours, went to a lot of countries, put a lot of miles on the How was that experience? On the belt. Um it was uh really, really good in the beginning. Um, and um, it was uh, a little more difficult towards the end. I eventually had to bow out. Okay. Um, I, he made a little bit of news recently. Yes.
0: When, you know, getting a little <laughs> scuffle at a club.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of, a lot of stuff coming out of the, the Peter Murphy camp, you know, like a lot of canceled residencies and um, right well you know we don't have to get into that this is yeah, professional well, courtesy not to yeah yeah kiss and tell but as you it were. know it was it was cool in the beginning especially because when I joined the band he was doing an all House set list so um so you got to play Bela Lugosi's Dead like I got to play t- 20 hours in the yeah yeah the longest song of all time yeah <laughs> yeah that was definitely a highlight like playing that song <laughs> um and uh, and and all that playing, all that stuff was really really fun. I mean, I love Daniel Ash, so the guitar playing was really super. I really, I really got into my job there. So
0: while all of this is happening, you're honing your craft. I mean, you play diligently daily. <laughs> do you practice every day, or you... <clears> the? <throat> yes, pretty much. Um, I mean, you seem to have a very natural. Ability to do
1: very difficult stuff. Well, I I have to really work hard to be able to keep doing stuff Mm -hmm. like if I stop if I stop practicing All that stuff will go away. Like it'll go away really fast. Like it'll just dry up so at the very least I need to pick up the guitar every day and just Play enough to keep my muscles from atrophying, right? So I don't get worse So a lot of days. I'm just trying not to get worse And then some days I maybe try to get better. So like I go through little spurts where I maybe play more and I'm dabbling with new scales or techniques or harmony or whatever. I'm trying to like expand my vocabulary and the winter time is good for that. Like right now is a really good time for that. Well, Who would you say are some of the people that have influenced you most as a player? Well... I mean, early on, like I said, it was the it was Brian the hard May. rock and metal guys. Yeah, it was. I'm guessing. Yeah, Brian May and you know Van Halen and, and Angus Young and then I got into the virtuoso guitarists like Ngbe and Steve I, and Alan Holdsworth and Steve Morris and people like that. Right. And then it was the post punk guitar players: Robert Smith, Daniel Ash, John McGeoch, um, shoegaze guitarists. You know, like yeah. Adam Franklin and Kevin Shields and stuff like that, and then really I stopped being actively influenced by guitar players, really. Um, so I don't really. You found your own voice eventually, and, and yeah, like at some point I decided like I need to pursue my own voice and not and stop. Um, parroting, yeah. yeah. Stop parroting yeah. things. I think that that's a thing that happens <laughs> with everybody, I mean, yeah. even as a singer.
0: Yeah. Like, I have my influences and, you know, the Bon Scott and the Paul Dianos and the guys that I emulated because yeah. that's the kind of voice I have. Yeah. But eventually it just became, like, oh, this is how I sing. You know, this is my style. This is my thing. And
1: You know, you grow into it. Well, when you think about all those people that you just mentioned, why do we love them? Because they sound like someone else? They have their personality. It's them. Yeah. They have, like, a big personality. Yeah, like, not... there's nobody on planet Earth like Bon Scott, you no. know. No. <laughs> I mean, it's a real broke the mold kind of thing. and He can barely sing,
0: but he has so much. I mean, you know, his range is is maybe an octave, but not that I'm saying yeah. I'm way better than that. Yeah, no, I know, way. but
1: it, it just goes to show, like, w- when you're given a little footlocker to work inside, sure. if you're crafty, you can turn that into something you really. Know, everybody wants to be Halford when they start out, but sometimes you can yeah. be like, you know, am I Dickinson or am I Deanna? That's yeah. the question. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't really listen to guitar players anymore, and I I haven't really listened to a lot of guitar music for a long time. I mean, other than my old favorites, like most of what I listen to is more electronic. I find electronic music is where all the cool sounds are, the cool production. And that actually influences my guitar playing, too, because I'm always trying to find weird sounds that don't sound guitar-y. And you do a lot of, of your own recording. I know that you. I constantly record.
0: Are like, yeah. Woodshedding and doing stuff on your own all the time because you're always posting stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm and constantly teach recording too, stuff. Right. So. Yeah, I've always taught guitar lessons. I mean, that was like the first thing I was able to do to make money. Um, hmm. Really, like when I when I when the rubber hit the road, it was like, what can I do to make money? The first thing that came to mind was guitar lessons. So I still do that. Um, but you know, at this point, what I do as a musician is a lot of different things. It's like nothing is really, there's not like a huge slice of the pie. There's a lot of small slices. So like I do live work, I do studio work, I do guitar lessons. I have, you know, my songs are out there getting played in TV shows. So I get publishing for that. That's cool. I do production. I do remixes, um, And, and I've learned the only reason I know any of this stuff is because all of it, all the skills I know come from just me wanting to make my own music and just like, you know, I learned how to program a drum machine because I wanted drums on my songs. I didn't want to to deal with anybody. else. didn't want to deal with any, just wanted to be able to do stuff like without having to schedule something. So what do you, (laughs) what do you play (laughs) now? Music, like what kind of guitar do you use? Uh,
0: Most of the time. Like, what what is your basic accent setup? the people out there who want to know
1: who play, what do you play through? What's your setup? Well, I have a guitar that is a custom guitar. It's basically like a super Stratocaster kind of thing where it's got a Strat body, basically a Strat neck with a a, a kind of unique headstock and... um, pickups that Demarzio gave me that are kind of a little hotter than Strat pickups. The, it's got 22 frets. Um, I can do some, some cool stuff with it that you can't do with any other guitar. Um, it interfaces with one of my pedals in a really unique way. Um, and as far as amps, uh, I use amp modelers a lot these days, which are basically just um, very portable units that, that have noticed, yeah. lots of amp sounds just inside the house. Yeah. You play through the house. You did that at the Gramercy. I, I did that at Gramercy because Gramercy has a strong monitor um, system there. So you can have... We had an elaborate setup that night. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in a place that's challenged in terms of monitors, it's not great to, to hog up the... The wedges with a guitar sound. Most okay. people just need vocals in there and they don't want to have to have guitars mixed in. So, but I do use the Atomic amplifier for um, all my recording and, um, you know, I, I used it on the KMFDM tour. Um, so, and then I just use just pedals, you know, a lot of, uh, Eventide is a big. Is a is a really important one, even tight H nine, and uh, yeah, you know, recording Cubase, and uh, I really don't have a lot of gear. I'm kind of a one guitar guy, right? And um, that works for you, yeah. It That's works for me. Being lefty, I've never you know, had a lot of choices anyway, so I just got used to that.
0: All right, you know what? Why don't we take another break? Mm-hmm. Play some uh, Pop Star Kids and some mm-hmm. Black Sugar Transmission soundtracks. You want to pick a couple of titles now, or you want to just send them to me
1: later? Uh, that's fine. Yeah. So Cut them in. Let me let me um, let me pick. I'll pick uh, Popstar Kids. I'll say um, a song called "Black Days Techno Nights." Okay. And for um, Black Sugar Transmission, I mean, that's, I'm so gonna say. You got say, a lot to choose from there, right? Yeah, I do. I'm gonna say. Um, I'm going to say, for that one, your bell never rang. All right. So we're going to do some Pop Star Kids, some Black Sugar Transmission, and then we'll be back
0: with segment three. All right. Stay tuned, motherfuckers. All right. Black Sugar Transmission, and we're still here with Andy Black Sugar, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what Andy's up to these days. I mean, you said you finished up with uh, Peter Murphy, you did that for about three years, and you started working with KMFDM, but that yeah. has that that been on and off
1: then, right? Well, um, like, what happened you, was... you a touring guitar player, or...? Yeah, what happened was... Um... Once again, it was just a matter of connections and a last-minute tour. Seems to be like your lucky zone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like in September of 2017, I woke up one day and I had a text on my phone from Doug Wimbish. Do you know who he is? Mm-hmm. Bass player. Yeah. Goes way back to Sugar Hill Gang, and he's played. Music. He's in Living Color. Right? He's in Living Color, but he's. I mean, he's. He's like a major dude. He's got a lot of. His fingerprints are all over rock and hip hop history. Okay. I didn't know that much about him. He's an incredible bass player.
0: He's just been like sort of a quiet about doing all these things. Just. Yeah. Background, like. Yeah. Threading himself through the history of rock and roll and shit. Yeah.
1: He plays on a lot of the really early hip hop tunes. Okay. And he was, you know, a huge part of Sugar Hill Gang. So I got a text from him saying, hey, um, Andy, this is Doug. Uh, my friend Sasha from KMFDM needs a guitar player. And I was like, how the hell do these two guys know each other? Right. <laughs> you know, like, sure. worlds colliding. And then I thought about it. And I was like, oh, okay, it actually kind of makes sense. Because Doug was in a band called Tack which was Adrian Sherwood's band in the late 80s and Adrian Sherwood produced early KMFDM songs and et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's how that came together. Plus there's a lot of like shared yeah. remixing things going on Oh like yeah, KMFDM and totally. hip hop. like Yeah, and yeah. Sasha from KMFDM had remixed Living Color. White there's Zombie. all kinds of stuff. I remember he did that, uh, that Psychotronic Beats White Zombie mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Right. So yeah, and Doug Doug had gotten my number from Vernon Reed, who's a good friend of mine, very supportive friend. And um, so yeah, like within an hour, I'm on the phone having a conference call with Doug and Sasha, and I'm a huge KMFDM fan, okay. so I was like, I want to do this. I, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I'm pretty sure I can get this together, we can do this tour, and... Um, I had a week to learn that show. So that's better than Peter Murphy. Luxurious, yeah. <laughs> and then we, uh, without getting into the details, we were not able to rehearse for the tour. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so the first show yeah. we played was just headlining. Like, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we headlined the Cold Waves Festival in Chicago at the Metro. And that was our first time playing together. you get any nerves about that kind of stuff, or you just are like, fucking? it? Fuck yeah, we guy. were all kind of like shitting bricks. Okay. Like, I mean, even they had been, you know, off the road for a few weeks, and so they all felt rusty. Right. So. Plus, you're a new guy coming in out of nowhere. They don't know what to expect. I mean, they don't know. Yeah. The only thing I could say was, don't worry, you guys. I got this, you know. And, um, and the show went pretty well. I mean, it had, I made some mistakes. And well, it's going to happen. happen. Yeah, but that, it was a great that crowd.
0: That's why rehearsals take place usually, right? So that you can rehearse.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but it—it was—it went so well. We got along so great. The tour was so much fun. I mean, they asked me to join the band like almost immediately. So, okay. so you know, we've been working on a new album since then. And they're New York based, or new oh no no, 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 they're they're based in Germany. So you just do this stuff over like the internet, like your, your yeah. contributions. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Actually our drummer lives in Florida. So we're, it's, uh, we're in three spread different out. places. Yeah. yeah. We're really spread out. It's all via email. That's cool. And, uh, that's, that's one
0: of the nice things about technology that we've been disparaging. Oh my God. But, I, I love that
1: aspect of it. I, I absolutely love it. I love being able to collaborate with people long distance. Everyone can record at home. It's creatively um, been just an explosion of possibilities, you know. Mm -hmm. For me, I I really, really love it. I love having bands you already respected, so that's even nicer. Oh yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, KMFDM. Yeah, I mean, but just in general, just being able to make records at home and with like Black Sugar Transmission, you know, my whole premise of that was this is going to be my first project where I, I record it myself. I, I produce it myself. Right. It's all, And I'm going to invite people to play on it by saying, I'm just going to send them yep. emails with files and they're going to send me, you know, a vocal track. I'm planning track, on doing my, solo. I'm planning on doing a solo record myself fairly soon. Cool. Yeah. So I'll it's probably
0: be in touch about that. Cool, man. Yeah. Not the whole, I want to have different bands on each song type of thing. Yeah. You know, kind of like what I do with that bomb or whatever. I don't Right. But, uh, mostly covers but it's it's entirely possible to do anything something I've never done something that's completely just me you know what I'm saying which I'm kind of interested in checking out before I get you know too old what's gonna happen too old (laughs) you know I'm I'm saying this my third phase thing you know my Tom Waits era
1: (laughs) your Cliff Richard era well Cliff Richard that's what Peter Murphy used to say. He's like, I'm going into my the Cliff Richard phase of my career. <laughs> <laughs> cliff Richard's been around a long time. Yeah, I know. Um and Rick from the Young Ones loved it, Cliff Richard. Oh, I know. Oh Cliff, what if,
0: Cliff? <laughs> you were a cliff and somebody fell off of you. <laughs> the people's poet. <laughs>
1: but um Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that, that sucks, man. Yep. Yeah, but um, So where were we? Um we're talking about working KMFDM. Yeah, KMFDM. So um, we we put out a live album from that first tour I did. So um, okay, I can send you a song from that. Right. When we finish this up, we can do some KMFDM and, and some uh, pony, some pony. Yeah. So yeah, it's been it's just been really really great um, working on new music with them and you know, they've become really good friends and we went on vacation together in Spain last summer. So we're like, wow. I mean, it's a family, like a KMFDM is a family thing. Like, and I, I got that right away. They completely welcomed me and you can just see their, their crew and their people are really loyal and they love, they love going on the road and working with these That's people. It's a nice a situation to find yourself in. It's very different from the one I was in before. <laughs> okay, I, mean, I don't want to get too deeply into it. It's exactly you know, the
0: opposite. Of that. As a professional musician, you need to keep you know, <laughs> right, keep lines of, of, of communication open with people. Yeah. Um. So, what made you decide to cast your lot back in with a band situation here in the, in the city? Oh, uh, made with you prisoners?
1: think like let's do this thing? Yeah. Prisoners of New York. Well, Shane, Shane and I have played in bands together before. Okay and we actually the first thing we did together was was the karaoke gig at Arlene's because he was hosting it right. for a while I think that's probably when I first met you or saw you yeah yeah playing out yeah right and that was when I first met him I was subbing on guitar at yeah. the karaoke thing and so we became friends and the first band we put together was this thing called the Sword Fight it was just the two of us and it was all instrumental um, he also plays drums yeah he's a great drummer Yep. Yeah. And we just did like these fusiony kind of self-indulgent instrumentals with a lot of solos. The for sword buckets. fight, a reference to, to yeah. taking a piss at the same time. Yeah, okay. yeah.
0: <laughs> and for the really ladies cool. out there who don't know, yeah, yeah, uh, young pre-pubescent the boys crossing, will have something. crossing, crossing of sword means. fights. I guess that maybe full-grown men might have sword fights too, but uh, I've moved past that point in my particular <laughs> life. Not one of my fetishes, if you know what I'm talking about. There are
1: Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, and then you know. we and then he was in Black Sugar Transmission for a little bit as the drummer. Okay. so oh, all right. So anyway, we're just good friends and everything. So like, I, I'll always play in a band with Shane if if it's possible. Oh, he's a very talented guy, <laughs> and he had this idea a few years ago. He's like, I'm writing all these tunes. I want to start singing. Um, it's kind of like. Um, very deliberately kind of like old-school, uh, soulful, bluesy, hard rock, tumble sure. pie, free, ZZ Top, ACDC, that kind of thing. And he's like, w- you know, would you want to do that? And I was like, absolutely. Like, I am i haven't even heard one of your songs yet, but I'll do it, you know? I think I was at... Was that your first show at Drum that night? Uh, your first show was at Arlene's. Actually, okay. it was before F-Bomb.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I probably booked you guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you...
1: you Introduced us or something. It's all a blur. Yeah. But yeah, that was our first show. Okay. and um, What F-bomb was that before? Do you know? Uh, I can't remember. Zeppelin. Oh, okay. That was a good one. Yeah, it was Zeppelin. TJ. I remember it was... um, Brian was playing bass and Tommy Jordan. Harley was drumming. Yeah, and my buddy TJ on guitar. Okay.
0: And I've known TJ since I was like 14 and he was a fucking crazy
1: good guitar player when we were 14 it was, oh, it was yeah, a yeah. Weird, weird thing
0: you know most pre- people
1: that are good most people that end up good are pretty good in the beginning too yeah <laughs> he just had a preternatural natural
0: ability yeah. to play guitar yeah. yeah and you know I had to wait until 20 years into me being trying to be a singer before he would even be like yeah okay I'll get him right <laughs> he's like you earned it yeah it's like yeah okay you don't sound like you're trying to be James Hetfield anymore <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah So, yeah, Prisoners is just like a labor of love kind of thing. Yeah. It has to be now in New York because you're not
0: really planning on doing anything else with it. It would be nice, but generally most of the bands now are doing it because they just need to be playing music and doing it for the shits and giggles.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and for, you know, this is like the way I get to play guitar in that band is is I don't get to play guitar like that in anything else I do, really. Like, the other stuff I... The other bands I play in in New York, um, there's like a lot of times there's no guitar solos even. You know, I'm just trying to fill a role. And with Prisoners, it's like I get to play whatever the hell Do I exactly want, exactly
0: what you want. Yep.
1: And there's supposed to be a guitar solo in every song. Well, at, at least one. We played together
0: at Kingsland recently. Yeah. And it, I it's I could see the change from the last
1: time I saw you guys. There's a lot more like guitar heroics going on. Yeah. Well. Yeah it's not like we ever shied away from it, but, um, and the other thing about that band is that we're, you know, we, we've tried to do all the recordings live, um, which is the opposite of what we were just talking about before, where you're emailing things and piecing it together. This is like, you know, Grand Funk Railroad goes in a room and just bashes out songs.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that, that's, um, that's a skill that you quickly lose if you don't do it very often, you know, like it's, it's. It's nerve-wracking. I mean, like, the yeah, tape if is rolling. makes a mistake. you got to do it again. The whole band has to start over. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we recorded our, our newest EP at a place called The Footlight in um, uh, Ridgewood, Queens, which is just a small music venue that's got a nice kind of natural reverb in it and and you know we set up the mics and we put a, um, a mic in the bathroom yeah we're we're left, to get the audio noise yeah. yeah so it's like a little reverb chamber in the bathroom and so all the all the reverbs are natural um and you know some of the guitar solos were cut live so it's like really on the edge of like <laughs> you know like unraveling apart. Yeah. yeah well that's that's where the
0: role should be <clears throat> yeah well, right. i mean that whole should have an uh sense of urgency yeah,
1: I, yeah. I, I think for certain kinds of things it, it really does help to do to do it that way and for for something like KMFDM for example it was ne- never about that like it was never made by people jamming in a room it was always like programming no, well, it's, it's the nature of that band of it was it's done with machines because they don't make mistakes it's one of the lyrics um, <laughs> yeah machines <laughs> our music make sampled,
0: mistakes
1: <laughs> totally fake it's done with machines because they don't make mistakes. Okay. Um, But yeah, I I think it's, it's fun to record that way, um, but it's also, it just means you have to be super rehearsed. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun doing that. Keeps that, keeps that skill set from completely Yeah, I mean, you've got a solid lineup there. I mean,
0: rhythm section's badass. You got one of the, most solid bass players in the city, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah, and you know, that show at Kingsland was not great attended, uh, you know, uh, greatly attended show. But it was it was yeah. cool. It was fun, and I think that all the bands at night had something to show. And like, yeah, I had seen some of the other bands a while ago and seen them progress yeah. to a higher level, and that was enjoyable for yeah, me. Yeah, you know? me so. yeah, me too. Yeah, I felt was... like my
1: band did pretty you know, for people who hadn't seen us in a while. So it's all good. Yeah, it was killer. Yeah, yeah, it was fun yeah, I enjoyed watching your set. Thanks. It was like um it really reminded me of um you know, like the the nineteen seventy one to seventy four Black Sabbath kind of like super detuned Yeah. Doomy you know, riffing.
0: That's the Hogan effect. Yeah. You know, Joe Hogan's a monster and just kinda of roll with that. Yeah. You know. But, uh, you know, we've got a new drummer, Vic,
1: who's been in the band for like a year. So yeah. that's made a change in the sound, too. You know? whenever you I know. didn't realize that he was your drummer oh, yeah. either because, like, he showed up to the gig and I was like, oh, hey, man, thanks for coming out. Because I knew, I knew him from, from doing that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, hey, man, thanks for coming. That's really cool. And then he gets up there and you're like, oh, whoops.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so. Uh, I, I doubt he up listens up. to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he realized that you know, he, now he thinks you're a dick. He didn't judge me for not. No. Dick is like one of the fucking most laid back people, yeah, of all time. Yeah,
0: and a great drummer to boot. Yeah, uh, solid good. as hell. Um, so you know, I guess uh, you know the last thing we got to talk about. This is the f bomb podcast, so mm-hmm. we like to finish up talking about f bomb a little bit. You know, one of the things I like to ask people is like, what is your, one of your most memorable experiences, funny or? Disastrous or crazy moments uh, involving, you know, being in a, in a show. An f bomb.
1: Yeah, um, something that jumps out at you. Well, I don't think we had any disastrous stuff, which is good. Um, I mean, I really loved doing all the ones that we did because I just, you know, like I, I really loved the 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 Black Sabbath Dio. That was a great the show. The Dio era. Um, that was. Well, you won't say yes to
0: an f bomb unless you're interested in what we're doing. Which yeah, it's cool.
1: <clears throat> um, I really loved all the singers that we got for that, and um, you know, uh, I, 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 just the 14 year old in me really loved doing the Judas Priest one. Um, yeah, there's no. You know that's always fun. The song I mean, "Screaming for shows Vengeance" for a long time, yeah. with with Elaine, yeah. uh singing was like was a super highlight. That was fun. It was a um, good night.
0: I think didn't Danzo jump in at the last minute too because
1: mm-hmm. somebody else couldn't make it, right? Yeah, and he killed it. He and I played together in an Iron Maiden tribute band. Okay, we, but we only did two shows. Well, um, he played in the last
0: Iron Maiden F bomb we did. Oh, he did. He did the Diano set with me. Oh, and some cool. of the guys from Canyon. And man, I'll tell you, Vic was like, holy shit, these drums never stop going crazy all over the place. Like, you know. Yeah. Like that Clive Burr shit is yeah. just all all nonstop fills and non like, especially in the early
1: first two records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really, it's, it's really fun stuff to play. And um, that's like Danzo's wheelhouse, you know, yeah. like metal yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah like it was cool like when when you 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 had me come in and do the um, the post-punk theme and um, I thought that was really uh, interesting and eclectic group of singers that we brought in for that that was a really good night it turned out really well attended yeah yeah Yeah, it it was was super fun. fun
0: me and Mike Sauce got to go nuts at the end of the thing which I really enjoyed because I've always wanted to
1: sing that song. You picked the perfect song for me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That was really, that was like a a rousing closer, you know. Waiting Room, in case anyone's wondering, is Waiting Room. By by Fugazi. Fugazi. (laughs) There's a a, um, club called Waiting Room in Omaha. Really? Mm -hmm. I've never been to Omaha. And it is named after the song. I've never been to Omaha, but I've been to me. That's what I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good it's a good
0: I like Omaha. Um so you know, just talk a little bit about what F bomb is like for you, what you think it means to the city in general. Yeah. And like you know, I like to think of it as
1: sort of holding the fort to some degree about rock and roll. Yeah, I think it's a cool way to pay tribute to um to pay tribute to whatever music is being featured, but it's usually kind of hard rock. And, um, I think that what's great about it is that everyone that's doing it is there because they love that music and, and they probably know it pretty well. So it's not like generally we try to pick people who would fit the picture. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, like, uh, you know, you see people sometimes that that are playing in cover bands and they kind of have the thousand yard stare, (laughs) you know, like they're just getting through it, you know, or it's like,
0: you you know, know, the the novel thing about F-Bomb is it changes every month.
1: If I was in a
0: band that only did one or two different kind of tribute things for
1: now 13 years, I would shoot myself. Yeah. You know, so that's what keeps it interesting. And it's always just on the verge of falling apart because you only rehearse twice, so everyone's just just so, kind of holding it together, yeah. and, and that makes it fun. It's not super polished, but like, um, you know, it's the the element of danger to it is is really kind of fun. And um, yeah. yeah, and it's just what you know, alluding to what I said before, is that just it's such an interesting conglomeration of people that get involved. Yeah. You know, I mean, even just talking about like the, the ones that I've been a part of, it's like, you know, uh, we did like the post-punk thing where we're, we're playing like Susie and the Banshees and the cure and public image. And then we did Judas Priest and we did Prince. Yeah. We did Pat Benatar and like all the people that are involved in these things are kind of like, Overlapping a little bit, but not not an always. awful yeah, no, lot. Queen. Yeah,
0: and Queen. Yeah. yeah, we had full on backup vocals. Yeah, you know, four four girls singing backups, and you know, each, each month it's a marathon.
1: I've met like some really great players through sure. playing playing F bomb. No, it's 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 <laughs> it's interesting for me being in the center to see all the
0: the different tendrils that go in different directions out of what happens. Yeah, bands get formed. Couples are formed, uh, you know, all sorts of weird experiences over the years. But um, the coolest thing to me about it is getting to play with all the different people and bring different bands together. And, you know, basically, to me, it's like a little family group. Yeah. People come in and out of it, but they're always going to be part of it.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's just getting people out of the house. (laughs) You know? You get a lot of, you figure all the people that are involved in the show are there and then the audience and it's like that's that's like a really significant achievement like however many people are in the room at an f bomb show getting that many people to leave the house and just like engage in a common thing together for for like a couple of hours is actually hours like job. like how many people can say that they can do that
0: you know part of the formula is that's why there's so many fucking people in the show cuz with if you have five people in a band they can draw yada yada amount of people right if there's 30 people in the band each person brings five people and then you got a party going on yeah you know but hopefully it saturates past that point where people are just like hey it's f-bomb it's the last saturday of the month we're just gonna go yeah you know, like whatever the theme may be you know or whatever
1: yeah so it's just really great as far as that i mean just getting people together in a room that have like um a common interest but you know the main thing is that it's, you guys do it for all the right reasons mm-hmm. We're just like that means you're doing something good for the world. Like, it, there's a lot of people out there that do music for all the wrong reasons, and they're they're like making the world a worse place. So, which would be <laughs> self-aggrandizement? <laughs> you know, just the, the self-aggrandizement, whatever, you, uh, cheap fame, getting uh, laid, getting laid. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, th- 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 these people should. Uh, find something else should have reconsidered you know their path yeah um, because it kind of it it does kind of like poison maybe they should have gone into politics exactly exactly so yeah I mean anytime people are doing music for the right reason and, and I think it'll resonate with others and then like you say next thing you know people are forming bands they're coupling together they're spawning little babies It's happened I think maybe <laughs> or at least impregnations
0: have happened on the F-Bomb nights I'm positive that oh, oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah so uh, I guess that's about all for yeah. today and uh, I want to thank you for being part of F-Bomb and uh, absolutely thank you for coming by today and thanks, thanks for having with us and Doing the interview? I'm going to walk out and see if it's snowing now. Yeah, it could be very well. Get home right before this shitstorm hits. And you got, mm-hmm. a, you got a show tonight or something? I'm just going to a party. Okay. I'm going to a go party. Well, enjoy. Thank and, you. And uh, we have a little ritual. We're going to play some KMFDM. Uh-huh. And we're going to play some Pony. Pony. Prisoners of New York. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know the acronym from the beginning of the show. If you've just tuned in, <laughs> <laughs> someone just... Hit play
1: and then skip to the yeah, last. Yeah, they download two the
0: podcast and then they just listen to the end of it because it's like a basketball game. <laughs> but uh, tell me which songs uh, you want to go out on, and then we'll, we'll we'll do the actual ritual that closes out the podcast at, after you tell me which songs you want.
1: So, uh, what KMFDM track yeah. should we play? Or, um do you want to surprise us? It's going to be from the live album. I can't give you any of the new studio stuff. That's yet. fine. Um, we don't need a preview. Or do we? I'll send you World War Three. Okay. I like the title. And for Pony... Um,
0: Which one has the most egregious guitar solo in it? <laughs> <laughs> Shit,
1: man. I don't know. It's got to be something from the new EP. Has that come out yet? Yeah. Okay. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. I thought. And,
0: um, my bad. I should have really done my homework before I had you in here. But I was playing video games. I'll I'll have to um I'll have to get back to you. I'm not gonna call that That's one. That's cool. Alright, so I mean thanks for everything. And we Thank have you. a little thing that we do, which we will tack on after your songs. It's where you pick your favorite band. Mm-hmm. And then we will pick a track to play out the entire podcast as the end of the show. Cool. So I'm assuming it's gonna be Queen, but you, you can say it yourself. You could, it doesn't have to be Queen. You could just yeah. pick a band, and then we will throw a song that will surprise you. We'll pick one. for you'll, you'll pick one.
1: We'll pick the track. You pick the band. That's okay. the way the show works. I'm going to go with The Cure. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, Queen was my first favorite band, but I, I would say they were probably eclipsed by The Cure. Wow. As far crazy. as the amount of hours I've spent listening to them. Yeah, I'm not a knowledgeable Follower of the Cure. Do you need me to help you with picking a song? <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I know.
0: I know which one I'm thinking of. Okay. But I will let Tommy uh, ultimately decide because he probably knows better than I do. Yes. But uh, all choice. right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. This is Andy Black Sugar and Super Morgan saying f bomb or something. Bye bye. Bye bye. And we'll check you out. Come see us play in New York City if you're in town. And. Listen to the next episode. It might be Mummy from Three of Cups. Take care. Thanks for listening.
2: Are you ready? That my Atlanta.